Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church. Good morning. Okay, so reading today out of Revelation, Revelation 2, 12 through 17. It is on page 1063 in your pew Bible. To the church, or to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Thanks, Heidi. You can keep your finger in that. Um, Keep it open to that passage. We are in the series looking at the letters to the churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And so far, this is the third church that we've looked at. They're all in the same region of the Roman Empire. Um, Linda was mentioning how Armenia is close to Turkey. Armenia would also be close to where these churches are located. Uh, Most of these churches um, are in historic, what's now Turkey, um, on the western kind of side of that um, nation. Um, so yeah, we've looked at these three, three churches, and one of the, the themes, if you haven't noticed, um, or if you've been paying attention, is almost all of these churches are having to do with some kind of um, persecution. It is not popular in their day, and not easy in their day, to be following the ways of Jesus. And so that's true of the previous two churches that we read about in Ephesus and Smyrna, and it is true of this church in Pergamum. You know, yesterday our um, leadership team took the day, uh, did a one-day retreat, and were um, just praying together about what God is doing in our church, dreaming together about what it looks like for us to follow Jesus together as a church family. Um, and it was, it was a really fun time. And part of that time, one of the members of our leadership team, Laura, um, shared with us uh, kind of a, a, his, a bit of a historical overview uh, of the church since she's been here, um, which is quite a bit longer than most of us had been. And uh, for those of you who don't know, our church started in 1950. And um, it's been just roses and smooth sailing for all the generations. Everybody's always gotten along. There's never been any... Con- of course that's not true, right? 
there's been challenges over the years. Um, there's been divisiveness. There's been things that exist in this church family that have no place in this church family, that don't reflect the ways of Christ. Um, and why is that? Well, because there's people, right? People have issues. And there's uh, churches exist within a culture, and the culture has issues, and that culture it influences and pushes in on the, the life of the church. And so this is, a, this is a normal part of being a human, of following Jesus uh, in the everyday stuff of life. So as we've looked at these letters, uh, Jesus is writing to his church. Like the church doesn't just happen. None of us got here today because we thought, oh, uh, th that sounds like something fun to do. We're all here because of Jesus, because of what he did 2,000 years ago, because of the, the life that he lived, because of the sacrifice that he made. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, he's still the reason you're here today. If your parents dragged you here or you're here with a, a friend or a loved one, you're like, I'm not sure about it. That doesn't matter. You're, we're all here because of Jesus. So when he writes to the churches... The churches are very personal to him. It is his children. It's his family. It is his people that have responded. It's his people that he's died to, died for. And so I want you to just keep that in mind as we, as we look at this particular letter. Read it through the lens of Jesus' love and care and concern for his people. Um, I, I'm blessed as a pastor in the, in the Renton area um, to have a relationship with many other pastors. In fact, we're, our church is part of a, a bigger association of churches called the Puget Sound Baptist Association. It's almost 170 churches, between, uh, roughly between Everett and Olympia. And I get to meet with a lot of uh, pastors from those churches. Um, one of the cool things, one of my favorite things, is to sit with pastors that um, immigrated to the United States from different countries, and they're part of that same association. And just in the last two weeks, um, I've gotten to sit with a pastor from Zambia uh, and from the Congo. And I was sitting with a pastor from the Congo, Pastor Barron, and he was telling me about how they started a Bible institute in Kinshasa. And the, this year, for the first time, they're graduating students from that Bible institute. So they've been going through it for four years. 75 graduates of that Bible institute. And he said, out of that Bible institute, we've identified some leaders and we planted our first church in the city of Kinshasa. I was like, wow, what a, what a beautiful thing. And I said, why, why did you feel compelled? You know, you're here in the United States. Why did you feel compelled to, to start that institute back in your home country? And he said, well, I'm going to be honest. One of, the, one of the challenges, one of the big concerns is what version of Christianity has been exported to the Congo. And he began to tell me about how so many churches in, in the Congo have uh, been influenced by a particular television station from the United States. <clears throat> Be careful how much I say here. <laughs> this, this television station has some good content and a lot of content that is based on what's called the prosperity gospel. This idea that if you do certain things, God will bless you. If you give a certain amount of money to a specific minister online, then good things will come your way just because you gave that money. And he said what that's breeded within the, many of the churches in the Congo is a, is a corrupt view of the gospel. Um, this idea that we can just kind of like, like rub a genie and things will be good again. And, and we see that in the scriptures that that's just not true. Jesus continually says to his church, following me is going to be challenging. You're going to go through suffering. 
Um, so the, the church in Pergamum, as, as um, Heidi just read, has some issues <laughs> that Jesus is concerned about. And that's why he brings them up. If you've ever really loved somebody and you see them doing toxic and destructive things, you bring it up, don't you? So the church in Pergamum has some issues. And as we kind of look at this together, we're going to look at it in their context. But the other thing is, we may have some issues too. And so as we read this together, it, we have to be real with ourselves. It's easy to say, oh my gosh, can't you believe what they're doing? And not consider, hmm, how am I similar in that way? So let's look at this passage together. We're going to kind of walk through it verse by verse here. Just a reminder on the genre of literature. Uh, Revelation is written as apocalyptic literature. It uses imagery to illustrate spiritual truth. Um, And the reason I bring that up is there's a lot of imagery in this particular letter to Pergamum that would have been more clear to them than it is to us. Um, Maybe you were wondering, you know, the, the phrase, the throne of Satan. What on earth? or the, the references to Balaam and Balak, or the white stone, or the hidden manna. Those, those have specific imagery that would have resonated with the, the first century church, but to us, we're like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. So let's look at this together. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, starts out, Jesus saying, To the angel in the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Boy, doesn't that sound warrior-like? A little fierce, a little intimidation. And this connects back to the opening description of John when he sees Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, that he sees him as someone with this double-edged sword. What is this about? Who is this? Well, this person is Jesus. What does the double-edged sword represent? It represents the truth or the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So Jesus, in this letter to Pergamum, he's saying, I'm about to separate some things. I'm about to, to, sh- to shine a light on some things, so listen up. Do I have your attention? Good. Jesus is letting the church know that there is some serious stuff. And so the warning that follows is about things in the church that Jesus sees that cannot be, that cannot continue. And so he continues. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So Jesus kind of brackets this (coughs) with Satan. Now, what is Satan? Who is Satan? Satan, uh, the the name itself means adversary, someone who is opposed to the ways of Jesus. Satan first appears when? Genesis, right from the very beginning, in the garden, opposed to the ways of God, twisting the words of God. So Satan has always been opposed to, to Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, I read this and I went, oh my gosh, that's literally where Satan lived. Crazy. We don't know that that's exactly what Jesus meant. Again, this is apocalyptic literature. It uses imagery to drive home a point. What do we know about Pergamum? Pergamum 
in its day when this was written was a leading religious center in the Roman Empire. And when I say religious center, I mean pick a god, any god, you'll find them most likely in Pergamum. So this idea of things being opposed to God, it could just be a reference to all of these this false gods, these false religions that were opposed to the ways of Jesus. Pergamum also had a massive altar to the god Zeus and others. Pergamum also had a temple that was specifically dedicated to emperor worship. We talked about this earlier, but in the Roman Empire, the, Rome, the, 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 the um, Roman emperors themselves were seen as gods, as deity. And so people actually would worship them as if they were that. Man, we think our political system's kind of weird, right? Imagine that. So Satan means adversary. So no matter what this is in reference to, we know that there is a, a, an opposition to the ways of Jesus. And so much so that Christians that, that are trying to just follow the ways of Jesus are suffering, and as we read, dying. Antipas had died. So this is not an easy place to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't know that the church there had a sign out front and was saying, hey, y'all come at 1030, uh, hang out in the bistro. Like I, They may have been a little more chill about being a Christian in that particular city. So this is the interesting thing. While it seems that the Christians there are not compromising their faith, they're holding fast, some are suffering, some are even dying, they are compromising in other ways. And this is what needs to be dealt with. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So what is, what is this referencing? Again, in the, in the first century, they would have been, oh, okay, we see the connection. If you look at back at Numbers chapter 22, there was a, a, a prophet named Balaam and a man named Balak who basically were trying to influence, trying to, first trying to curse the nation of Israel, the people that were following God, and when that didn't work, then they tried to, to get them just to, just to kind of move away from God. Kind of, stop doing what God said. Come this way. And we see in Numbers, that many of the chosen people of God began to follow other ways. And so Jesus is reminding them of this kind of historical moment back then. And he's saying, guess what? There are some people just like that today called the Nicolaitans. We don't know a lot about them. There, from what we do know, there is some sort of Christian sect that used, used the language of faith and was probably even present within the church. But was making a lot of cultural compromises. Okay, you can follow, yeah, follow Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But guess what? You can also do this thing. You can live in this way. Oh, I know the culture, you know, is, is doing these things. They're not that bad, actually. Go ahead. You can do those and be a Christian. And so Jesus is connecting kind of this old story in the, in the history of Israel to their current moment. In this region and in this 
time, many cities like Pergamum and others that were written to were like a type of spiritual Disneyland. There were gods for all sorts of things, and each one had special festivals and ways of celebrating. Two prominent practices with that kind of pagan worship, um, not the only ones, but certainly the two most notable uh, in the worship of all these gods had to do with two things. Feasting and sex. Food and sex. There would be these massive meals as they would celebrate a particular god in a particular month with, with amazing food prepared, flowing with plenty of alcohol. And as these celebrations would, would unroll, they would, they would essentially worship, celebrate the particular god through the feasting and through those sexual practices. For certain gods like Aphrodite or Diana or Artemis, this sexual expression, expression would be used as a way of identifying with the goddess. So in these particular festivals, it's kind of like all bets were off. You could do what you want. Kind of similar to like Mardi Gras or some of the more current cultural moments that we live in. So being a Christian meant following Jesus, being a pagan, meant following your own carnal desires. Jesus says, follow me. Satan says, do what you want. Whatever feels good. Does that sound familiar? Satan is still saying that today in our culture, maybe even louder than ever. So again, in referencing Balaam and Balak in the Old Testament, Jesus is reminding the church how people were led into godly, ungodly behavior that led to judgment. And he's trying to warn them of those same enticements, those same behaviors today. So you've endured suffering, you've held fast, like Antipas, that's good. But this pagan cultural influence cannot be among you. So what does Jesus say? He says, repent, repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus is jealous for his church. He cares about their behavior. He cares about the cultural influences that are enticing them away from the truth. So Balaam, from Balaam to the Nicolaitans in the first century church to what? Where are we today? None of this is new. The church has always had to choose whether to compromise with pagan culture or risk sticking out and dealing with the consequences. And can you blame the early church? This was the culture that they were born into. I've always seen the temple to Zeus. People have always worshipped the emperor those feasts are just kind of a part of what we do that's good food. Okay, yes, we believe in Jesus. But the things in our culture, they aren't that bad, are they? Jesus will forgive me, won't he? And to this Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Are we listening? It's not that much of a stretch to see how in our current culture we are tempted to adopt whatever the cultural norms are 
even if they are clearly at odds with Jesus. In the garden, Satan said to Eve, did God really say that? We say the same thing today. Does the Bible really say that? Is that really necessary? If Jesus were to write this letter to us, Sunset Community Church, what connections do you think he would make? He might not reference Balaam and Balak. Well, actually, he might. It's in the Bible. <laughs> he might not reference the Nicolaitans. We don't know who they are. They're not in Scripture that much. We don't have a, a, a current kind of comparison. Or do we? Would Jesus say, hey, remember how these people were enticed to false gods and to sexual immorality? And likewise, there are people at Sunset Community Church who are What do our false gods look like in America? What are we expected to celebrate or to honor that has pagan or even satanic roots? What type of celebrations or sexual, sexual immorality are we to agree with or participate in? Nothing is new, is it? From Numbers, from Balaam and Balak, to the first century church, to here we are today. Satan's using the same old tricks. Jesus says, follow me. Satan says, do what you want. Who are we listening to? I want you to, to just take a moment and take a quick inventory of where you personally stand on the cultural issues of today. I'm not going to even... Well, I'll list a few. Okay? Here's a few. Take, take some inventory. When I say the words immigration, abortion, sexual ethics, how did you get to the conclusion about those issues that you have arrived at today? Did you reach your conclusion through your following of Jesus, through your love of the truth and what the scripture says? Or did you reach your conclusion by a group identity that is outside of Christ, that is not a part of his church? Where do you stand on those issues? What have we been discipled and taught by? What have we said yes to without thinking? Are we following Jesus' way or another? I'm a music guy, so I'm going to quote two different musical artists to you, two different generations. There's a Christian hip-hop artist named Jay Monty, and he says, I don't follow Yahweh, I follow Yahweh. The artist Bob Dylan, which was my, my dad's favorite, he wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And he gives a whole list of different verses, but I'll, I'll read one and then the chorus for you. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but... You're going to have to serve somebody 
Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Somebody's taught you what you believe. Somebody's shared with you how you should view the world. Somebody has influenced how you follow Christ or what you pick and choose in your following of Christ. What Jesus is saying to us today is, do you have ears to hear? Are you listening to me? Whoever has ears to hear, let, the, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus ends with, not with doom and gloom, even though he says these things cannot exist in my church any longer. They're going to be dealt with one way or another. But Jesus also ends with a future promise. And he says this, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name on it, known only to the one who receives it. Again, we read these, we're like, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Manna, this everlasting bread, the word of truth, the nourishment that comes from being with God, from knowing God, belonging to him, a white stone in the ancient Roman world often was an invitation to a banquet. You'd show it at the door. Here's my invite. I'm in. And so he says a white stone with a new name on it. What does that represent? Entry into the kingdom of God. You belong here. To the one who is victorious, who doesn't give up, who stays faithful, who overcomes. This is the promise that we have. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus knows what it's like to experience temptations and adversity. And following Jesus often means that we're going to have to deal with the same things. But following Jesus also means that there is a way to overcome them. There is a hope that this world cannot offer. And so his, for his followers that don't compromise... There is an invitation into the kingdom of God with our name on it. Do we hear? Will we listen? We hold fast, not just when somebody says, I don't like you, but when the culture says, come on. Yeah, I know you like Jesus, but come on, let me show you some other things too. So that's our challenge. That was the challenge for Pergamum as well. I just want to end with prayer today. We could sing a song, and we often do, but I think it's good to sit for a moment and to think about where we are as a church, to think about what Jesus is speaking to us through his word today. So let's just take a moment where we're at and take that inventory, and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, we're listening right now. As your people, would you speak to us?
as we're listening and as we're reflecting, as we're taking that personal inventory on the cultural issues of our day, Jesus' words echo to us from the text we just read. Repent. And so if you need to do that, between you and the Lord right now, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. So if you need to repent, do that right now. Receive the forgiveness of God. Father, we, I hear you. <laughs> I hear your spirit prompting and tugging and directing, challenging. May we as a church respond. May we respond with repentance where we need to. May we hold steadfast, Lord God, in our faith. Father, would you elevate our perspective looking forward to what you've promised us as your people. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your hand that has been on this congregation, this group of people through the different generations that have met here since 1950, that have shared your word, that have encouraged each other, supported each other, sent many for gospel work. Thank you that we get to be a part of that legacy. We also acknowledge that there's, there's been challenges along the way. There's been ungodly behavior. And Father, we want to be a church that is marked by faithfulness to you. We want to be a church that, that when you look at us, you say, oh, my beautiful bride, my children who I love and who love others, so, Father, would you, in your loving way, correct us where we need it? Guide us, Father, into all truth in the midst of a culture that doesn't even know if truth is a thing. May we recognize clearly that, that words of the enemy, it says, do whatever you want. And may we say, no, I want to do what Jesus wants, to follow you, Father. So as we go from this place, may we go with renewed hearts and minds, rededicated to not be cultural Christians or nominal Christians, but committed, Father, to you. And if you would agree with that and desire that, would you say amen with me? Amen. You've been listening to Sermon Audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.